Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. Today, we have a special episode in partnership with Snap, where we will discuss attention, storytelling, creativity and planning. In advertising, there has been an increasing focus on performance and, to put it bluntly, getting people through the front door of business. But are we missing a trick? Is creativity in decline as the media landscape fragments? And are we too obsessed about people seeing an ad rather than enjoying it? I'm joined by Snap Emia, Head of Comms and Planning, Jed Hallam, Jen Smith, who is the founder of Craft Media London, and Maria Kutadakis, who is the Brand and Marketing Director of Vodafone. Thank you all for joining me. Hey, nice to meet you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us, Arvin. Let's kick off with this idea of attention. Now, we all know that not all attention is created equal. There's a gulf between non-viewable, sound-off video, or cluttered feed social posts to peak television spots and AR lenses. Jed, given the breadth and depth of formats and media available now, is reach or awareness still fit for purpose as a metric? Yeah, it's one of those things that's always fascinated me, really, Ovin, because I think despite the fact that our ability to reach people has expanded and our our technology that sort of our, our disposal has expanded massively over the course of the last decade, the way in which we measure that impact and the kind of the, the impact of, of the messages that sit within those formats hasn't hasn't really changed since the 60s or 70s, um, which feels slightly at odds with the fact that we're kind of leaning into this, this, this brave new world effectively. Maria, what is your take on this? When I was thinking about it, for me, it, it, it boils down to the objectives of the communication. I think there's some messages that still remain quite simple in their nature and therefore really low attention, high reach, is the right metric for the type of message that you want to land. And then for some messages, that's completely irrelevant and actually length of time and and having an opportunity to really get into the conversation is really important in order to land the message. It's more complex. It requires more thought. So it's, it's, for me, it's not a blanket yes or no, but what is clear is there's no longer one fit for purpose measure. And you've really got to think about what it is that you want to communicate to get the right consumer behavior and work your metrics around that objective. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pressure that, Mary, because I remember we spoke last time about that massive outdoor placement you did on, on Piccadilly, which was obviously massive brand reach. How does Vodafone kind of approach this? How do you sort of like plan for these sorts of things? It boils down to the job to be done. So despite high brand awareness, we have a huge opportunity in brand consideration. So we land a lot of messages about asking people to reconsider and rethink about a brand that they know in order to build that brand affinity. It's very difficult often to do that in a single billboard in a, in a fleeting message. So we tend to spend a bit more time on more mediums where you can have a bit more engagement. But then we do know two years, two months out of the year, our consumer is shopping. And actually a key message, a short message, a clear message straight to basket is the right vehicle to convert that already considered customer. So again, it goes back to objectives um, and we have that conversation, but we really make sure message and medium and buying strategy are not done in sequence. They're sort of done in a bit circular. We go back and forth on stuff until all three make sense. Have a starting point, build build a metric, make sure the message works. If the message doesn't work, go back and ask ourselves, can we get that out of that medium or change the plan? Jed, reach or awareness, are they still fit for a purpose? I mean, what's your view on that? You're kind of now outside the media buying 
buying elements. So you can be a bit honest about this. <laughs> well, the, the sort of the divisive planner in me wants to say, no, they're not fit for purpose. But the sort of the, the, the sort of pragmatist planner in me says that I think to Maria's point, I think there's a sort of combination of different metrics that should be deployed when measuring any campaign. I think, Maria, you had a really interesting point in there in terms of kind of building out an attention-focused narrative effectively for 10 months of the year and then focusing on those two months where it's it's tipping somebody into basket and, and for me that's that's kind of flipping the funnel on its head in a little way which I think is a really interesting concept and this idea of like a, a circular sort of process rather than it being um sequential sequential sort of through the funnel as it were I think is really interesting too because you know Vodafone and, and a lot of the work that you've done is is incredible at driving the right type of attention uh, and it, you've only got to look at the you know the latest Christmas campaign from Vodafone like it's an amazing an amazing campaign which is very attention grabbing because it's it's focused on something very purpose driven and I think that sort of using lightweight like relatively passive comms to tip people into basket effectively I think is is a really interesting way of deploying it because it feels like the vast majority of advertisers do it the other way around it's a sort of low low involvement low emotion processing um, process for 10 months of the year and then occasionally they remember that there's a you know there's a need to kind of do something a bit more engaging for two months um, and I think you know that's testament to, to Vodafone's and, and your work over the, the last the last few years. So it's a really interesting point that you raised there um, Jed in, in terms of attention it's something that all markers really want to get a grip with but how do you measure it? I mean put, put bluntly it's not the way it's measured is, is how long you're paying attention to something um, and I think that that sort of, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't think about we, we do a great job in the industry about talking about storytelling. But if you think about stories in other formats and other other forms of storytelling, like books and, and plays and songs, those types of things, you wouldn't anticipate that somebody would read the first page or first sort of quarter of a book and then disappear and tell everybody that they'd read the whole thing. Um, and I think the same the same sort of principles can be applied to advertising, the fact that you've seen the first second or two doesn't mean that you you're emotionally connected to that that brand and i think that's you know we should be harder on ourselves i think about how we how we measure engagement and how we measure attention because it is really important because you know a, a video playing in the background of a, a really to your point i think like a video playing in the background of a, a really a cluttered social feed or there's probably three or four of the videos or five or six of the videos and mixed in with lots of content from your friends on autoplay and silent is is not the same as a, a peak time ITV nine PM on a Saturday night with all the family sat around watching it moment. It's and and I don't think we should compare those things in the same sort of way. Maria, I want to get you in this because you're a brand marketer and surely you must have metrics in terms of attention. We don't specifically measure attention. We measure campaign objectives. The way we do it is is um, brand uplift studies. So again, we have basically two jobs to be done. 10 months of the year, keep Vodafone at the top of mind of people's awareness, building consideration, and then two months of the year when they're shopping by Vodafone. And everything we do at the upper funnel, we're more interested in the impact on changing people's minds than anything else. And then again, we work backwards on that. So, So we don't judge 
something necessary. We have the conversation about how long do we think someone will be engaged? How much noise is there? What am I actually trying to say? Can I land that in six seconds, two seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds? We have all that sort of upfront math. But the thing that counts at the end of the day is the people that saw that in the normal environment feel closer and better to Vodafone than the people that didn't. So we use that as our KPI. So we're spending a bit more time spending in more platforms because then that becomes a standard way of operating with the platform because brand uplift study become a standard output on any media campaign. So we're doing a lot more of that to be certain because you could get to a point where, well, they were in it for 40 seconds, but you know, being in it for 40 seconds is irrelevant unless I change their mind about Vodafone. That's great for them. But, you know, for, for us selfishly, they need to change their mind about Vodafone. Can I ask you a question? Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here. Okay. Um, when you try to sell this up, to your CMO or, or your CFO or have it structured, uh, how do you do that? What sort of metrics do you use? So we use, my number one KPI is non-user brand consideration. So I get I get marketed on that. So it is, it's one of those metrics that is fine when the world is fine, <laughs> but when the world gets tough and trading kicks in, then everyone forgets. So it's more on those moments of high trading pressure. We find it more difficult to to preserve that money that's built for the long term versus the short term sales. So that becomes more the challenge. So fortunately, I would say because of COVID in some ways, because we spent a quarter of the year last year not being able to trade, not having propositions, not having stores, just really everything sort of shutting down and us investing in brand purely for the for the first quarter of last year and seeing the impact on consideration and the impact on the funnel and now the long-term impact of that broader funnel, they get the joke, but you realize when, when trading is tough, if it came for a pound for a pound, they go short versus long, regardless of what I say. Jen, uh, let's bring you into the conversation. In terms of attention, uh, when, when you sell attention and, and when you and your clients um, try to build attention, how do you build it and how do you sell it? From our perspective, the first question we ask is less about attention, but more about notice, which same word, different sentence possibly, but it puts it in a human context. Like how do I get somebody to notice this um, is the first place that we start with any brief that we answer. And it's amazing just by reframing a client's brief back to them in that language, what it does to get them to the same place that you are. Suddenly we've taken out all of the useless language that we like to surround ourselves with in briefs. And you talk about how do I get somebody to notice this and they're with you and you don't have to sell. You're having a conversation about an objective for your comms straight away. Chet, you've recently joined Snap. You've had a long experience in the industry. Um, I want to ask you about immersive stories and about what that means. Obviously, all of the, the, the digital platforms will, will try and sell that as some sort of the marketing thing that you can do. But looking at it from, from your honest perspective, what does immersive stories mean and, and how do marketers get benefit? Yeah, I mean, from, from my perspective, immerse, immersive is, is in a sort of true English lit grad sense of the, the sort of the term is being immersed in something. It's, it's you know, being feeling like you're surrounded by something and, and only being able to kind of pay attention to that thing. So that cinema is an amazing example of an immersive media where you literally your your attention is only on one thing. You're not got your phone out, you've not you've not got a newspaper, there's nothing else for you to see, there's no conversation for you to have. And from my perspective, there aren't very many uh, media platforms that deliver on genuinely immersive experiences. 
So television is a great example of an immersive experience when it's an advert, but there is also the sort of distraction of the rest of the house and, you know, your phone. Cinema, I think, is probably one of the purest. I would say AR on Snap is an incredibly immersive experience. You're engaged in it and you're paying attention only to that thing that's in front of you, which I'm sure you'd expect me to say, having recently joined Snap. But if you, you sort of peel back the reality of the situation, that sort of... That sense of being immersed in something and not being able to have your attention stolen by anything else, I think is really important. But can I actually just extend on that? Um, and this is very much off the cuff. Um, what do you think about the metaverse? Uh, I'll ask you first, Jen, but I want Maria and Jen to also have a few after, after, after you have one. What is the metaverse? What does it mean? What does it mean for advertisers? That, that, that's, that's kind of the thing, isn't it? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I, I, I'm sure Jen, Jen and Maria have both got uh, slightly more informed opinions uh, about this than I have. I think I see it as one of those things that it's a bit like social media in the early days. Everybody's talking about it, but nothing's really happening as, as a sense that like the metaverse really doesn't, from everything that I've read at least, doesn't really exist and isn't looking like it will do for five or ten years. On a sort of more philosophical level, there's a lot of things that we could do with fixing in this world first before we start trying to replace it with a new reality. I'm sure there are some amazing opportunities for brands within the metaverse, but I also think I quite like this world that we've got now and there's quite a few things that we could do with fixing, investing in fixing fixing this one first before we either, one, travel off to the moon or Mars and colonise that or, or two, create a sort of a, a replica of, the, of, of what we've got now. So my take on what you just said is quite sceptical. You're like, well, you know, it sounds all good and well in the future, but right now it's not even something we should consider. Maria, what's your thought on the metaverse? The thing that, that struck me, I think, when, when we first started having conversations about it, the challenges we've got is how do you how do you add value to the experience of the existent today versus escapism? So I think if it if it if it starts to be augmented reality versus virtual reality. Um, I think there's a real nice blend of taking an everyday experience and creating a more immersive everyday experience, an enriched experience, but it's still rooted in today. Um, I think the whole parallel universe, I think, has been, you could argue, if you think of things like Second Life, have been around for a long time, yet at some stage people still want to exist in the real world. So so we we have, and it's tough because you have to have, meaningful use cases where you show, you know, experiences that really add to consumers' experience as opposed to get in the way or finicky or, or gimmicky. So I think it's tough to find those real use cases. They're not impossible, but they, they're just more difficult to find. Sure. Jim? The metaverse doesn't exist for me, but it very much exists for my children. Um, very much so. So whether it is roadblocks or Fortnite, they are spending that's how they're spending their time. Um, it was frankly a lifesaver over lockdown. I think the fact that my children were able to connect and have experiences with their friends that were still very meaningful for them in a virtual way, like save them from all sorts of, you know, depression, trauma, worries, anxiety. So I do think it exists. I'm not on it. I, I don't have a personal experience of it, but that generation that's growing up with very real emotional experiences attached to the metaverse, I think will shape the future different to what my point of view would be. Okay. Well, that really neatly segues in, into the terms of future of brand storytelling. I mean, traditionally, 
um, you know, at least in our generation, television has kind of played that role. So is cinema, so is radio, so is other sort of traditional formats. Um, where do you see the future taking place? There's talk about metaverse, there's talk about AR and, and all these platforms. I want to see where you think in the future, when I say the future, I mean like, you know, between now and, and five years time where brands should play. So where, where's the sort of the future of, of, of brand storytelling? Well, I don't think it's in splitting things up over a hu- like a, a sort of humongous amount of different channels. I think we've we've done a great job in the industry over the course of the last sort of probably two decades of, of convincing ourselves that having different bits of a story placed all over a sort of media plan constitutes storytelling and forgotten about the actual story that might take place in just one format. And I think, you know, that, that sort of coming back to that immersion point, Maria's point around, you know, creating something that's valuable, whether that's socially like socially valuable and, and passable, whether or that's culturally valuable and it enriches your sense of, of belonging and being, like focusing on those types of things and starting to draw brands and people closer together, I think is where we'll see more interesting aspects of storytelling rather than kind of, you know, sequentially storytelling or storytelling over kind of, you know, six or seven different channels where you're expecting somebody to sort of follow the breadcrumbs, which I think is, is a, has been a really prevalent narrative within planning, certainly for as long as I've been in planning. I think it starts with thinking about the stories that customers want to hear versus the stories we want to tell. Um, and if I think about, you know, they don't want to hear stories on promotions, they barely probably want to hear stories on propositions, they probably want to hear more stories on purpose and partnerships. So so we're using our sponsorship platforms as one of the reasons Vodafone got back into sponsorship to create meaningful moments where we can demonstrate and tell stories around stuff that people actually care about, which generally is not network or gigabytes or data plans so it's it it goes back to where can we truly demonstrate through use cases and i never really thought of use cases till i came to telco and it's a massive thing you know what's the use case for this piece of technology but if you add that from a consumer perspective you can start to tell incredible stories about how tech can make change which is the stories we want to tell but in a meaningful way because it's on a it's on a medium or should I say a, a subject that customers care about. So robotic 5G means nothing to the everyday person. But when we put it with our Lions sponsorship, a tour with no fans and the ability to have your T-shirt signed by your favorite rugby player 8,000 miles away instantaneously, that's a story people want to follow. So it, it's again, it's sort of being clear on the purpose and passion points we want to focus on and finding those moments with where in our case, technology adds a difference, makes an interesting story. And to Jed's point, telling that story somewhere where you get it end to end, but also being realistic that no one's going to indulge in a 45 minute documentary on a 5G robot. So how do you make it fit for platform? But you tell a story at every touch point. You don't tell half a story. Fantastic. Jen, you have the final word. I think it's interesting, the use of the word story, and it's possibly in this conversation interchangeable with idea. And actually, all the examples that we talked about were actually brilliant ideas. They were bigger than an ad unit. They had a centralised, engaging, noticeable idea that you were then able to distribute that through different storytelling devices in different ways. But when you use the word storytelling in isolation, for me, it just, it feels like the telling overtakes the story and we we worry too much about how do we tell it rather than how do we create it and make it bigger. 
Well, that is all we have time for. Thank you for joining us, Jed, Jen, and Maria. Also, a big thanks to our producer, Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. Please do visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletters so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on in Adland. Thank you for joining us on behalf of the campaign team. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.